I begin with the hadith about the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam which was collected in both Bukhari and Muslim agreed upon. Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu narrates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam once was sitting down with his two grandsons Al-Hasan and Al-Hussein radiallahu anhuma the sons of Ali radiallahu anhu and with the Prophet sallallahu in that particular seating was a man who was known to be a great man a man of generosity and goodness and piety however he was from the Bedouins and the Bedouins in those days were known to take a long time to learn what kindness and mercy is among them. It took them a while because they were raised in very rough environments. And so the Prophet ﷺ took him time to teach them mercy and kindness and softening of the heart. His name was Al-Aqra' ibn Habis al-Tamimi. And when the Aqra was sitting there, he saw the Prophet ﷺ seat his grandsons on his lap and next to him and then he kissed each one of them kissed them tenderly and hugged them Al-Aqra had never seen this in his life believe it or not so we said to the messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Inna li min al-walad I have ten children Ma qabbaltu minhum ahadan I have never kissed one of them in their entire life. فَنَظَرَ إِلَيَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ ثُمَّ قَالْ The Messenger of Allah وسلم, looked at me. Yani the look was a look of disappointment. And he said, مَنْ لَا يَرْحَمْ لَا يُرْحَمْ Whoever does not give mercy will not be giving Whoever does not give mercy will not be given mercy themselves. Meaning mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it also means, so that's if a person deliberately is not merciful, the mercy of Allah is delayed for them. Another meaning for it, the scholars said, is that if you don't give mercy to others, you will then experience in your life lack of kindness and mercy experiences from others. Because when you don't give mercy, naturally, people will see you as a harsh-hearted person. And they will avoid you. They will be careful around you. They will tiptoe around you on eggshells. Whether it's in a relationship with your wife or husband, with your children, with your parents, at work, everywhere. If the people cannot see mercy from us, then it's going to be difficult for you to see mercy from others. And perhaps some people out there who look at other people and say nobody is kind, nobody is nice. Maybe they are nice to people. But sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes, maybe we should look at ourselves and think, are we practicing mercy to others? Do we practice kindness? Perhaps people are seeing us in a different light and showing us a different face only to avoid us. So the first thing, brothers and sisters, is to look at ourselves and as the Prophet وسلم, used to say, always judge yourselves. What does it mean to judge yourself? It doesn't mean to be cruel to yourself. It means to look at yourself authentically. To really look at yourself and think, maybe I have shortcomings myself. Have I practiced mercy? Am I a kind person? Let me look around me. How are my children, if you have children? How, how, how are they around me? Are they scared? Are they frightened? Do they do things just because I told them they're afraid? How are they around? How are they when I'm not around? How is my spouse? How are my parents? How are my friends towards me? Really look at that. Subhanallah, even pets sometimes can sense a human's lack of mercy. These things, wallahi, brothers and sisters, are signs that Allah brings to us. Who was the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when it comes to mercy? Allah says in Surah Ali Imran, verse 159. 
من الله لنت لهم ولو كنت فظا غليظ القلب لانفضوا من حولك ولو ولو كنت فظا غليظ القلب لانفضوا من حولك فاعف عنهم واستغفر لهم وشاورهم وشاورهم في الامر فإذا عزمت فتوكل على الله إن الله يحب المتوكلين. Allah says, It is out of Allah's mercy that you, O Prophet, have been lenient with them, meaning your companions, and all the people around you. Had you been cruel or hard hearted, they would have certainly abandoned you and walked away. So pardon them, ask Allah's forgiveness for them, and consult with them in conducting matters once you make a decision put your trust in allah surely allah loves those who trust in him so even the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam brothers and sisters allah acknowledges and declares that had he been harsh-hearted to the people whom he was sent to as a messenger in the way that he portrayed and presented the message of islam even though he is speaking absolute truth from allah he's reciting the verse of the quran straight from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through jibreel alayhi salam if he only changed that approach to be harsh-hearted with the people and judgmental of them and, and, and uh, you know, just uh, not easygoing, all his companions and people around him would have just avoided him. Can you imagine what kind of effect he'll have after that in da'wah? And this is a good indication for, for us as Muslims that when we want to teach people about our deen, brothers and sisters, you cannot teach it without kindness and mercy. You can't teach people as if you're a person who has been sent as an authority over people. That you are meant to sentence them or judge them if they don't accept. And then we're harsh and use bad words. For the Prophet ﷺ, he was once asked, Why don't you curse the disbelievers or messenger of Allah? And he said, Lam ub'athu. I was not sent as a cursor. So brothers and sisters, mercy and kindness and wisdom is paramount. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also said, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ Surah Al-Anbiya verse 107, Allah says, And we have not sent you, O Messenger of God, O Messenger of Allah, except as a mercy to all the worlds. All the worlds means Muslim, non-Muslim, Arab, non-Arab, animals, insects, birds, fish, and even the jinns, the devils, the jinns, or the jinns who are, who are both Muslim and non-Muslim. They're like us, but they're another life form called jinns, which we cannot see. That's another topic. Brothers and sisters, Rasul sallallahu also said, لَيْسَ مِنَّا مَنْ لَمْ يَرْحَمْ صَغِيرَنَا He or she is not one of us. Meaning, meaning, he or she is not on the guide of Islam that I came with. It doesn't mean they're disbelievers. Whenever you hear that statement in the hadith, he's not one of us, it doesn't mean they're kuffar, disbelievers. It means they are not on the rightly guided path that Allah had sent me with and my companions followed me upon. That's what it means. It just means they have to fix themselves. They're going astray. Whoever does not have mercy to our young ones, to the children, and knows and acknowledges the honor and respect of our elders. In another hadith, he said, and respects our elders. Anyone who is older than you significantly, you need to give them respect, brothers and sisters, even if you disagree with them. A non-Muslim, even a non-Muslim, someone who's grown white hair and is older and is a senior, even if you don't have any feelings or love for them or anything like that, Muslim or non-Muslim, you still exercise uh, mercy and respect for their age. Because old age 
is a part of life and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to have this uh, lesson and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to respect life that people get old and how people are close to their graves so we respect old age especially people who are older than us they do have more wisdom than us because they have more experience than us generally you don't treat for example your parents the way you treat your friends you don't treat your teachers the same way you treat your colleagues in class you don't treat an elderly the same way you would treat a child or someone your age you don't treat a scholar an imam or a sheikh or anyone of knowledge the same way you treat every normal person who doesn't who's not in that position you should treat people in the way they deserve to be treated now a lot of people they say I'll treat them in the way that they treat me okay you can do that but then you're the same that person you call low life you're acting like that low life if they treat you badly and if they treat you good you say I'll treat them good so that means you're waiting you're waiting on what people do that means your inner character itself is not there you're a person who is only good based on the currency people give you if everybody thought that way brothers and sisters then everybody will be waiting for everyone else to do their part but Rasul was sent as a leader and told us to be leaders in good character and Allah rewards you for your good character you're not doing it for people people don't control you they don't possess you of course defending yourself standing up for yourself we're going to talk about that inshallah soon there are situations where you don't have to exercise mercy in fact sometimes mercy can backfire and we'll talk about that in a minute one thing I haven't done yet is I haven't even defined the meaning of mercy what is mercy what is rahmah there is a definition in the encyclopedias and one in the Cambridge dictionary and the definition is similar to the definition in Sharia in Islam it means kindness shown towards someone whom you have the right or power to punish I repeat mercy is showing kindness towards someone whom you have the right or the power to punish you can hurt that person but instead you don't it means you are showing mercy is what the scholars have put as a rule in Islam and Rasul talked about this as a high virtue it is when you can pardon when you are able to hurt someone sometimes someone deserves punishment and you can exercise mercy by lowering that punishment sometimes you can hurt someone by ruining their reputation and completely do a smear campaign to ruin their lives forever on social media but you can have mercy as well maybe you might think they deserve it but brothers and sisters I want you to realize something very important be wise mercy is generally and most often the virtue of the prophets and the virtue of believers and good people generally speaking exercise mercy throughout your life towards everybody and anyone but when you know that being merciful to someone is definitely you are certain through experience of knowing that person being merciful will definitely lead to corruption and harm then don't be merciful to that person that person needs to be punished for example if you're used to somebody who when people lend them money or go into business deals with them or they buy and sell as customers you know that they're always cheating people they're always ripping off people they're always being dishonest and when you know that this person relies on people's kindness and mercy especially when they see them people of God the only people of 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 Dean or good people of good character you find that they use them for their goodness then these types of people do not deserve mercy they only deserve right what they deserve rightness but they don't deserve injustice 
So treat them the way that would stop them. So when mercy will lead someone to corruption, forgiveness leads someone to corruption, you do not forgive. You do not have mercy. But even in that there is mercy. What is that mercy? This mercy is for other people. Because I know, if, I, if you know me as a person who constantly uses the goodness of people and corrupts and, and uses and, and, and uh, abuses people through using their kindness, and you have a right to treat this person the way they deserve, your mercy is for other people now, to stop them from hurting and harming other people. Do you understand the difference? There's a big difference between the two. Mercy, brothers and sisters, is when you are able and have the power like Prophet Yusuf salam. In Surah Yusuf verse 92, we all know when the brothers of Yusuf come along and they're the ones who did what to him? They threw him in the well. They wanted to kill him. Then they went and lied to their father and said the wolf devoured him. And then they sold him into the market and he became a slave. All his life he suffered. And his brothers did all that to him. Years and years later after ending up in prison and being um, going through all that trauma and torture and all that stuff, he becomes the treasurer of Egypt. And then his brothers come along, the story is long, and they don't recognize him, but he recognized them. And he doesn't do anything to them except mercy. And then when all their families arrive and they say, our brother forgive us, he could have punished them. He, any one of us would have put them to slaughter. But he says to them, لا تثريب عليكم اليوم يغفر الله لكم وهو أرحم الراحمين. No harm upon you today. No blame or guilt upon you today, my brothers. Today Allah will forgive you. I ask Allah to forgive you. And He is the most merciful. His mercy never runs out. This is the meaning of mercy. Meaning He's telling them, if I've got mercy, Allah is even more merciful. So when you have power, pardon. Rasul's descriptions were that. He was not harsh. He was not hard on people. He was not a person who abused and swore and denigrated or teased or mocked or you know, did stuff like that. He was not a person who went into the markets and raised his voice to cause the attention to himself. Or to when he when people debated him or people disagreed with him, he would explode just to shut them up. No, he didn't do that stuff. He never met bad with another bad, unless it was for the sake of Allah, and we'll talk about that. For his own personal rights, he always pardoned, and he would cover up. One time. Uh, the, the Rasul was giving out some charity and donations to the people and he ran out of charity. And then one person said, Wallahi, he did not deal justly. He gave it, he favored people. And the other companion said, Wallahi, I'll tell the Prophet He went and told him and Rasul became angry. But he restrained his anger and said, he remembered something. Moses was harmed more than this and he was patient with his people. Asbir, I will be patient. Uh, one Bedouin came and said, Give me from your wealth, you O Messenger of Allah. And he pulled his collar until it marked the neck of the Prophet. Instead of getting angry at him or showing his anger, he leaned with him. And that's a way that a believer is. You're like the palm tree. You don't move from your spot. You're still firm. But you don't let people harm you either. So he leaned with him. And he knew that this better one, he just doesn't know any better. And he meant well. He didn't mean to harm, to harm the Prophet Wasallam. He gave him the benefit of the doubt. And he said, I've got no more food or, or, or charity to give you. But come to my house. You can be my guest. He went and treated him with utmost respect and honor. After three nights, the man went out and called everybody and said, Oh, people, come here. And he met and he said to the Prophet ﷺ, please stand next to me, Ya Rasulullah. And he said, Oh people, hear me, hear me, hear me out. I'm gonna make a dua. Allahumma arhamni warham Muhammadan ahadan ma'ana. Oh Allah have mercy upon me and the Messenger of Allah, and do not have mercy on anyone else, because no one else deserves it. The way he treated me, I would ransom my own parents for him. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Rasul then turned to him with a smile and he said, La, laqad hajjarta, uh, um, 
You have restricted something that is wide and far. The mercy of Allah is not restricted. He said, wide and far. Then he said, okay, okay, Ya Rasulullah. Oh Allah, have mercy on Muhammad and myself and have mercy on all those, on, on the believers as well. And Rasulullah said to him, Al-an. yes, that's how you should do it. So brothers and sisters, this is how a believer is. My brothers and sisters, having mercy is good in most cases, but bad when it leads to bad. However, Mercy is sometimes called in science the love hormone. The love hormone, they say that oxytocin, that's the hormone that gets released in your body, it plays a role in forming social bonds and trusting other people. Now you might be thinking, trust, what's this business? No, 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 have mercy. And the person who even takes you as an enemy, you can win their trust over. At least you can get along. We're not talking about trusting everything. You've got to be very careful in telling your secrets to people. But it can win trust over in the sense of people getting closer to you and trusting you a little bit more. And you trusting them. It's the hormone mothers produce when they breastfeed. And it increases their bond with their own babies. And subhanAllah, the name Rahma comes from the meaning Rahim. Rahim means the womb. The womb inside the mother. And it also calls mahram. Mahram are the people you can never marry. It means they are the ones who share the womb of a common mother. Like a grandmother, for example, a great grandmother. You share the womb of a common mother. Why is the womb called rahim? Because it is the mercy. It's the thing that bonds people together. It is the thing from which the baby comes out. And subhanAllah, you know, when a baby... When a mother conceives the baby, from the moment she conceives the baby, even if the baby dies, even if there was a miscarriage, even if the baby is aborted or dies, the mother continues to carry living cells of that child for the rest of her life, subhanAllah. Even the grandmother and even her children, her daughters right now, little daughters who are two, three years old, they carry the living cells of their mother too and the living cells of the next child that's going to come. Scientists have told us that when a baby cries, the mother lactates, meaning milk starts to be produced just from hearing the baby. And that's why I say to this day and age, the modern woman, the modern mother, I advise you, dear sister and brothers, that think about your children before your career. Because the child needs their mother, experts say, at least up to the age of eight years old. And that is mercy. And the husband should assist and support his wife so that she can be a good mother. Which brings me to mercy between the husband and wife. Not only towards the children, but between the husband and wife. If the husband and wife cannot have mercy to each other, I repeat, mercy means when you are able to punish someone, you have a right to punish someone, but you exercise pardoning and you take it easy. If the husband and wife cannot have that, you are automatically and effectively harming your children's development, their psychology, their mental state, their character, everything. Because lack of mercy is learned. It's not inherited. There's not enough evidence to say you inherit lack of mercy. You learn it. And the first place they learn it from is their parents. The child grows up watching their mum and dad. When the father has no mercy for their mother, the mother has no mercy for her father, or one of them is quiet while the other one cops it, the child grows up really completely stuffed mentally. And they need help for somebody to help guiding them along the way. It's a big, big process. As an educator, I see this all the time. So brothers and sisters, Rasulullah said, You are all shepherds and every one of you is responsible for the flock that is in front of them. Their children are the first. The great wisdom statement that I always say is, children may not obey us all the time, but they will never fail to imitate us. They will copy you how you tie your shoe, brothers and sisters. So remember your actions next time, and if you want your children to have mercy to you, you have mercy to them when they were children. That is why Rasulullah said, Who does not give mercy will not receive the mercy. Your children will be the first ones to show you that. Remember these words, brothers and sisters. I'm not going to go into too much details with them. Rasulullah 
He told us about mercy because it's good for you. It releases many hormones, feel-good brain chemicals, and uh, it's called the, 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 it gives you a high, a good high, a halal high. You don't have to resort to drugs for that. Just be merciful and there's your drug. There's your halal drug. In addition to boosting oxytocin, it boosts dopamine. Uh, being kind can also increase serotonin. I know I'm saying all these words, but these are all the hormones that make you feel good. Allah put them in us to encourage us so that we can have kindness and mercy to each other. Which are neurotransmitters. They play like hormones and neurotransmitters, for those who get too technical with me. They're neurotransmitters from the brain and your brain system and your nervous system that regulate your mood when you have mercy. Brothers and sisters, when you have kindness and mercy, you will smile and you'll laugh and it boosts your immune system for the next 24 hours. When you get angry for one minute, it lowers your immune system for the next four hours. And that is why people who get angry too often, you'll find they get sick too often. Next morning, they're like this. Uh, and their moods are really bad. Why? Because they were angry all night. So, we'll talk about that soon, inshallah. So my brothers and sisters, kindness and mercy also is a treatment for pain. Pain. You actually feel less pain. If you're sick and you have mercy, wallahi, you feel less pain, subhanAllah. And this is, this is a factual scientific establishment. It lessens depression and it lessens your anxiety and fears. When you have mercy, especially to people you love, your family, your children. And the opposite is true. My brothers and sisters... Uh, when one of the grandchildren of the Prophet وسلم, passed away, I think it was the child of Umm Kulthum or Ruqayyah, he was only two years old. They called the Messenger وسلم, to come see the child and bury him. Rasul brought the child to him as the child was dying in his last breaths, and he could hear him wheezing and having certain painful breaths. When the Prophet ﷺ looked at the child, the hadith says, His eyes filled with tears and his tears began to spill down his cheeks. And Sa'ad radiallahu anhu, companion was there, he said, Ya Rasulallah, ma hadha? Oh, Messenger of Allah, what are these tears? Like, what, what brought them on? Because he thought that you shouldn't cry. Upon death, and Rasulullah said, He said, This is a type of mercy that Allah has placed it in the hearts of His servants. Allah gives mercy to the servants of His who are merciful. Rasulullah was merciful to children who were not even related to Him. Anas. Anhu, he was 10 years old and he learned from the Prophet for the next two years until the Prophet died. Or actually 10 years until the Prophet died. The hadith is in Bukhari 6038. He said, I served and learned from the Prophet for 10 years of my life. Wallahi, I never heard him say to me one time, Oof. You know that statement we say to our parents a lot? Come on, man. Oof is the smallest resentment or word of displeasure to someone. You can't get any lower than that. As in like, you can't get a word that is more subtle than that. Everything else, Allahu A'lam. Far out, man. Why don't you tell my brothers and sisters, far out, it's always me. Come on, you slam the doors and stamp your feet. All these is worse than oof. He said, I never heard him say like annoyance. No expression of annoyance to me. Never did he say to me, why didn't you do what I told you? Nor did he ever say to me, why didn't you instead do that? Why did you have to go and do that? He said, well, he never said it to me. And he says, one time he sent me on an errand. And I was late. I went past and I saw children playing. And as a child, I looked at them and I just watched them and I forgot. Because that's how a child does. And then he said, I heard the Messenger behind me. 
He said, what happened to the, he said, uh, he said, what did he say? He didn't say what happened to the errand. He said, um, what happened, ya Anas? He said, I turned around, I saw the Prophet ﷺ laughing and smiling. He enjoyed the fact that I was watching them play and I was enjoying myself. And he said, what happened to the errand, ya Anas? And he's laughing and smiling, giving me comfort that he's not angry with me. And I said to him, I'll go now, ya Rasulullah. Rasulullah was so merciful that a man came to him and he could be bold enough not to fear him, to reprimand him by asking him the following question. Give me permission to commit adultery, O Messenger of Allah. He did, yani وسلم, what kind of security did he give his companions that they can come and ask him such a bold question? Give me permission to commit zina. Rasulullah used to reply in goodness and never judge them. A man entered the masjid, a Bedouin who didn't know about toilet etiquette. And he went and urinated at one of the corners of the masjid outside, but he was still within the masjid. The companions got up to hit him. Rasulullah said, leave him, let him finish. Let him finish. Then when he finished, he secretly said to, to some companions without the, the Bedouin knowing, get a bucket of water and just spill it on that and inshallah it'll go easily solved then he called the bedouin and he said to him beautiful words he said this action is natural but this is not the place for it he said i would ransom my own father and mother wallahi no one ever spoke to me in such mercy and kindness as the prophet what, what's yani brothers and sisters when you know that being merciful will only bring good then exercise mercy what possible goodness would it have brought if the Prophet ﷺ was angry with him or allowed the companions to go and hit him? What possible goodness was it going to bring except harshness? Easily spill the water and it's gone. Sometimes we're praying and somebody passes in front of us. Some of us, we lose the plot. After we finish, we can't wait to abuse them and swear at them or yell at them. Somebody cuts us off on the road. We can't wait to swear every word under the sun. Sometimes we forget our children are with us and then we wonder why they grow up becoming abusive and swearing. Brothers and sisters, it starts there. Rasul was merciful to women. He said, Think of the good qualities women have. And you don't always be negative, 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 negative. You know, sometimes bad can change into good. Sometimes you don't like it. Rasul said, No believing man should dislike his believing wife or believing sister or believing mother or believing if he dislikes a particular quality about her there are other good qualities he'll be happy with them he'll be happy with them Rasul used to praise his wives he would say I love this about you and I love that about you and I love that. of course it's going to change everything same with the wife sister tell your husband what you appreciate about him if you can't say it every day say it once a month can't even do that. Say it once every six months. I promise you. He'll think about it for the next six months, inshallah. Heck, randomly. 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 You're all, you're all now ready. You're going to bed. And you just say, you know what? I love you. He'll turn around and say, what do you want now? If he's used to that. And then you surprise him and say, I've just been thinking about how much you've been working and, and tiring yourself. And, you know, sometimes I say things out of anger and just, I love you. You know, you're good for our kids. Say it somehow. Break that little barrier. Your husband will see you like the queen of the world. Trust me. Wallahi, try it. Same with the husbands. Every day. If you don't know how to say I love you, I know not everybody has the same language. Mercy can be shown in different ways. But try to understand each other's language. That's the secret. People are created from different types of soils. Some of the harsh ones, some of the soft ones, some of the easy ones, some of the firm ones. Some of them, they can't say I love you. I know a couple... Where I said to the brother, after 13 years of his marriage, Yachi, when have you ever said to your wife, I love you? He said, never. I said, say to her, I love you. He goes, I can't. He said, why can't you? He goes, I just, I just, I just you know, I just feel ugly. I can't say I love you. I just, yeah. I said, go try it. Well, I'll try it tonight. Next day I saw him. He goes, what happened? He goes, I said, I love you. I said, what happened? He goes, she hated it. So I went, uh, the couple was having a bit of a problem, and they called me and I said, Sister, did he say I love you? He said, yeah, but ooh, doesn't sound right. 
He's never said it. I don't like it. So then I got a bit embarrassed and I said, well, okay, well, I guess you've got different languages. Show your love in a different way. Tell her I hate you. Maybe that's what it means. <laughs> yeah, and understand your language. I'm joking about that last one. Don't take it seriously. I know people, they take every word seriously sometimes. I try to understand what I'm trying to say, inshallah. So, brothers and sisters, that's one thing. Rahmah. Rasulullah finally said, Nothing that you applied kindness and mercy to except it decorates it. Whatever you take it away from, it will always make it ugly. Ugly. My brothers and sisters, moving on. Actually, I'll mention one more beautiful hadith. You'll love this one about spouses. Rasulullah once, the hadith is in, uh, in Bukhari. That the Prophet ﷺ, he once had a little disagreement with, uh, not a disagreement, but a little, a little uh, negative experience with his wife Aisha radiallahu anha, something very light. Abu Bakr radiallahu anha was coming to the house of the Prophet ﷺ and he narrates the hadith, says, فَاسْتَأْذَنْتُهُ I asked permission to enter, the father of Aisha radiallahu anha, Abu Bakr radiallahu anha. And uh, he said, I accidentally heard my daughter raising her voice at the Messenger naturally without realizing. He said, when I entered, I went to rebuke my daughter. And I said to her, and he said to her, Ala araki ala How do I see you raising your voice? At the Messenger of Allah, have you forgotten he's the Messenger of Allah, not just your husband? So he approached to tell her off. As he got closer, Rasul stood in between Abu Bakr, his father-in-law, and his wife. He wouldn't let him approach more than that. And Abu Bakr stopped, obviously, honor to the Prophet and kissed his feet. And he moved away out of embarrassment and he said, forgive me, Ya Rasulullah, I'll leave you all to it. And I left. He said, I returned later after that and I found them laughing together and joking. What did the Prophet had, do, had done? He said, says, he turned to me, Rasulullah turned to me after my father left and he said to me, ha-ha, yani, he didn't say ha-ha, but from the context of the words, you can feel like as if that's the kind of feeling. He says, What do you think of me? I saved you from that man. Her father. He's joking with her. I mean, see how my chivalry, I saved you. And she laughed about that. Then their father came back, and when he saw them laughing, he said to them both, uh, you have reconciled? Tayyib, let me share in your happiness the same way you made me share in your sorrows and anger. And they all started to laugh. So brothers and sisters, this is rahmah. This is mercy. Always follow something bad with good. And I say finally, especially with parents, it's normal. Sometimes you'll get angry with each other. Sometimes we'll get angry with each other. Some people, they can't hold it. But the best thing is reconcile in front of your children. Reconcile in front of the people that you got angry with, if you can, because it shows a message of mercy and you'll learn and people will help you along the way. Sometimes your children will come up and they'll just hug you. Why? Because they feel safe. And then you look back at your disagreement and you'll say, SubhanAllah, look at my children. They felt unsafe before and now they feel safe. And it makes you, that mindset changes and you start growing better character. Now we move on, brothers and sisters, from mercy by the way, mercy is not just between these. Mercy is to every being. Mercy is to your neighbors. Mercy is to the animals, to the insects, to the ants, to your pets. Mercy is to yourself. Mercy is even to your objects. Some people, they get upset with their objects and they hit their objects. The classical example is when... You're going to cringe from this one. Have you ever hit your toe on the edge of a table leg? Or a bed leg, have you had that? Today it happened to me. I was walking, bang, my mother goes, ooh. I said, ah, oh, the table. And then I realized I'm getting angry at something that has no life. What's a table got to do with it? Sometimes we get angry at even objects. 
Well, let's talk about anger, insha'Allah, now. My dear brothers and sisters, we all know that anger is bad for your health. This is an established fact in medical science. It makes you sick more often. It lowers your immune system. People, there is 9% higher chance of getting a heart attack. It increases your blood pressure. We hear this all for you ethnic brothers and sisters who have Arab parents. Have you ever heard your parents say, My blood pressure went up. All the time. Uh, it gives you more stress. It's bad in most cases, and sometimes it can cause deaths. Isn't that true? Deaths and killing. Brothers and sisters, anger is bad in most cases. But it can be good in cases where you can bring from anger a good outcome. Anger is not always bad. Sometimes it's a must. And sometimes you get rewarded from Allah for being angry. So let's talk about it, inshallah. What is anger? Brothers and sisters, anger is a language. It's a language that you express. It's an expression of your feelings and beliefs as a reaction to an event or to people. So it's a language. You're expressing a feeling, showing a feeling or a belief. Unfortunately, most of us are used to getting angry quickly, fast. And some of us are slow. And some of us are both. They're fast and then they're slow. And they keep going and going and going. They go back home, they can't sleep. <sighs> Every time I think about it, it gets me angry. Next day, one week later, one year later, they're still angry, man. We've got to keep them wet. This is a sickness. Got to work on it. You need maybe get some help in, 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 in regulating it. Brothers and sisters, anger is a feeling which is natural. Everybody gets angry. And in fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions in the Quran for people who have been wronged. He said, لا يحب الله الجهر من القول بالسوء من القول إلا من ظلم. لا يحب الله الجهر بالسوء من القول إما إلا من ظلم. That Allah does not like speaking evil publicly unless one has been wronged. Allah is all hearing, all knowing. And that's in chapter 4, verse 148. So there is a way of venting. And Allah subhanahu wa has allowed us to vent if you are wronged, truly. But be just and fair. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also said, وَلَا يَجْرِمَنَّكُمْ شَنَآنُ قَوْمٍ عَلَىٰ أَلَّا تَعْدِلُ عَدِلُوا Do not let your hatred of a people, or your anger of a people, or your resentment of a people, swerve you or cause you to be unjust. No, rather be just. So even if you hate someone, and you want to take it out on them, and they've wronged you, do it in a just way. My brothers and sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Imran chapter 3 134 Allah says those who spend in the way of Allah both in plenty and hardship who restrain their anger who restrain their feelings of resentment and rage and they forgive others Allah loves such good doers the Prophet said there is no gulp gulp you know when you drink water you gulp Jura, meaning a gulping to restrain your anger. There is no gulp. No gulp is greater in value and reward to Allah than the gulping of an anger. The feelings of resentment and rage. You hold it, you restrain it, you gulp it down, you swallow it down. A servant restrains solely seeking the pleasure or sight of Allah. There is no greater gulp than the gulping or restraining of anger when you do it seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The hadith is in Ibn Majah 418. Also in Bukhari and others, a man came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, Ya Rasulullah, give me advice. He said, La taghdab. Don't get angry. Don't get angry. 
Don't get angry. And you will have paradise. But then again, Rasulullah said another hadith, The winning wrestler is not, the, 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 uh, the winning person is not the one who is the winning wrestler. Rather, the strong person, the strong person is not the winning wrestler, the strong person is the one who can control and manage and direct and control their anger at the time of anger. Therefore, you can see from these verses, brothers and sisters, and from these hadiths. First of all, Allah did not say those who do not get angry. He said those who restrain their anger, meaning you take control of it. Therefore, anger is normal. And in the hadith of Prophet he said those who restrain and control their anger, not those who don't get angry. My brothers and sisters, I have to give credit to a, 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 a very, a, an imam, a scholar, and also a psychologist and a therapist by the name of Dr. Yasir Al-Khuzaymi, where I took some really valuable advice. He speaks in Arabic. It's really good for you guys to listen to him on YouTube. He's really good with um, all these psychological mental factors. He says that venting, there are types of people who vent, and he names them. He says, some people, when they get angry, you have the one, the writer. They vent by writing, by texting, by posting, by commenting. They're the people in front of you who won't show their anger. Give him space, they'll write. One brother, he said, bro, my wife. I said, what about your wife? He goes, she goes into her room and then my phone. I go, what about your phone? He goes, have you ever watched The Matrix? I said, yeah. He goes, you know on the computer how all those numbers come down like this in green? I said, yeah, because that's how she sends me, essays after essays. I said, that's how she vents, Habibi. Go, what should I do? I go, don't respond. Because, but if I don't respond, I get another essay. Matrix. I said to him, wait, get a box of chocolate next day and just eat it together. He goes, does that work really? I go, try it. Have you ever tried it? He goes, no. I go, try it. Try it, go ahead. <laughs> it works. Sometimes it works. Sometimes you need to talk about the problems, but communication is key. Anyway, the writer. The second type of person who vents is the blamer. They show their anger by blaming. Everyone's fault except theirs. Your fault, you, 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 you. But that's all as far as they go. The third type of uh, venting person in anger is the one who verbally threatens but does no action. They'll threaten you, but they won't carry it out. The fourth type of person is the violent one but says nothing. He'll just go for the kill. Hit, bash, do things, and won't say a word. You have another type of angry person. He's called the silent treatment one. Just go silent. Won't talk to you. It's called a stormy silence. The sixth type of person is the silent one who will only talk when they feel pain, when you've hurt them. And when they, feel, when they explode, they explode. The seventh one is the one who gets angry at non-living things, situations, objects, and hits them. Now that's okay, you're not hitting anybody, but just be careful with your furniture, brothers and sisters. I mean, you still need to eat on tables, you still need to sleep in your bed, the doors still need to be closed. And uh, the last one is the long haul one. They do all of that, and they keep going and going. These people, wallah, I fear for their life, you know, it's very detrimental to you. Brothers and sisters, Imam al-Ghazali, one of the great scholars, he says that there are three situations people believe they have a right to get angry for. And Imam al-Ghazali wrote a beautiful statement about three situations that people think they have a right to get angry for. Let's look at them. The first one is justified. The second one is falsely justified by the public. And the third one is falsely justified by the individual. Let's have a look at them. The first one is a right to get angry. What is it? It is when basic human rights and necessities are denied or attacked or violated. What are the basic human rights that you have a right to get angry at when people violate them? Number one, religion. Number two, family. Number three, dignity. Number four, shelter. Number five, food. Number six, uh, wealth. Number seven, security. And number eight, body and health. If any of these are attacked and violated or denied, a person has a right to get angry. They are the basic human rights of anybody. That's understandable and the whole public universally knows this. But how do you get angry? How do you respond is another question. You get angry, you have a right to be angry, but how you respond makes a difference. Number two, the second type of 
anger that people feel they are privileged to or, or they, are, they have the right to get angry is privileges and luxuries. And majority of people are like that. Listen to them very carefully, brothers and sisters. Privileges and luxuries that people think they have a right to get angry about when they are taken away from them are status. They get angry when they don't see themselves being acknowledged in their status. I'm the big man. Why aren't you acknowledging me as a big man? Why didn't they promote me? Sometimes it happens at work. The boss didn't promote you. I'm going to get angry. Why? No need to get angry at that. Number two, reputation. Number three, they get upset for not being able to stand out. Someone else stood out instead of them. Number three, when they don't get power. Number four, when they don't get leadership and position. Number six, when they don't get the praise that they think they deserve. And the compliments. They don't get compliments for something they did. Or extravagance, meaning that they get angry when they don't get more money and extravagance and luxury like everyone else. When someone gets in their way, they get angry at them. They want to kill everyone. They want to bash everyone. And most people, brothers and sisters, transform these privileges into basic human necessities. They think these are human rights. They are not human rights. Don't mix those. Majority of people with sadness and sorrow, they transform these privileges, which are these, these things which are meant to be privileges and luxuries, into necessities. Why? I have the right. I must be promoted. I must be mentioned. I must be complimented. I must be acknowledged. I must stand out. I must be the person who has the most. I must have the looks. Why? Why don't I get the views? I must get the views. I must get the Why other people? And they get angry over these things and they'll turn the world upside down. These people, brothers and sisters, have changed privileges and luxuries into necessities that they think they have a right to. Brothers and sisters, we don't have a right to get angry with those. There's no need. You stay in your status. And we talked last week about building yourself and your self-esteem. And the third thing Imam al-Ghazali says that people think they have a right to is their personal perspectives, something that's private to them, not public. So, for example, they get angry from the opinions of others about their opinion. Someone challenges your opinion, you get angry. Or criticism of others to your opinion. Or when a person writes a book or makes a post or a podcast and their words or their podcast or whatever is ridiculed. They say, how dare they ridicule my work? How dare they touch my book in a bad way? I wrote that book. I have a right. They must honor it. They must respect it. They get angry. Or people who look at your car or your house and they don't compliment it. And they say, oh, that's an ugly house. They get angry. I worked hard for that. How dare they say stuff like that? Or your personal looks. Some people are so used to being praised for their looks and their skills and whatever that they feel, I'm privileged. I have to. I'm entitled. Why? Why are they giving more attention to that person? Sometimes with looks, it happens a lot with, with females, but it also happens with males too, when it comes to gym and stuff like that, and girls with their looks and all that stuff. They fight and they bicker and there's innuendo and gossip, and they over, really it's over that. So personal looks or skills not being praised, and so on. These are personal things that you yourself think I should be praised for. My dear brothers and sisters, anger, as I said, I'm almost done. Anger is natural. But managing your anger is what a Muslim must learn to do. Brothers and sisters, Allah, Imam al-Shafi'i says, Man Whoever does something that you rightfully should be angry about and you still don't get angry, then you are a donkey. That's what Imam al-Shafi'i or, or some other said. It was Jafar al-Sadiq, Imam Jafar al-Sadiq who said it. The point is it's a correct statement. Whoever, someone does something for them to please them and just calm them down, and they don't calm down, and they're not pleased, then they are devils, meaning the devil is controlling them. You can't get, no one can calm you down or get pleased, and if you are supposed to be angry at something, you don't get angry, then you're a donkey. What are the things you get angry about? The basic necessities, your honor, your pride, your deen, for example, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a person got angry. But brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, it's how you deal with that anger. Number one, remember, be just. Take a step back and take a breath. Ask people who are wise. How should you deal with that? Don't take things personally. And remember, how should I react? What is a better way to react to bring better outcomes? Sometimes I, I get asked this question. I said, what do we do about these people who burn the Qur'an? 
Should we go and bash them and do a raid? I said, absolutely not. Why? What's that going to benefit? Think. But I'm angry. Yes, good that you are angry. Anger shows that you love the Quran. Anger shows that you love your deen. Anger shows that the words of Allah are important to you. By the way, you can't make yourself get angry at that. If you love your deen, you'll naturally feel the anger inside. But going and bashing and doing things and talking, you've got to know, why are these people burning the Quran? Because they want to sensationalize it. They want to spread it. They want to recruit other people who think like them to continue burning Qur'ans. So the moment you give them more attention, you've just given them, you know, you've, ma you've made a new algorithm that's going to go all the way. Everybody, they'll, they'll become viral. And then you'll get the haters co coming in and say, oh, look, they're doing it, they're doing it. And they'll just start doing it more. But Rasulullah for example, said, Allah says in the Qur'an, لَا تَسُبُّوا دِينَهُمْ فَيَسُبُّونَ دِينَكُمْ do not swear or abuse their religions because then they will swear and abuse your religion uh, with enmity and uh, oppression. So the idea is you've got to think. Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa also said in the Quran, don't raise your voice in the masjid when you're reciting the Quran very loud and don't make it too low and be balanced. Why? Because some of the mushrikeen, the disbelievers at that time, when they heard the Quran, they would swear at the Quran. So he said lower it and don't make it too high. Meaning, if you know people are going to be provoked by it, just keep it small. Some people, I've seen people many times, especially some people who got this amazing love for the deen, but they do it the wrong way. So they got their subwoofers in their cars, roll down all the windows, and then they drive through a packed street. Oh gosh, I once saw them drive through a street. Um, I was going to do a marriage for someone up in St. Kilda, and you know, it's a place of haram, you know. They go into the street and they pump up the Qur'an. And why did you go and choose that place? Or a nasheed? Oh, it's da'wah, bro. That's not da'wah. That's not how it works. I love your intentions. That's not the da'wah, Habibi. They go into sing and dance and it's their line. And a lot of them are drunk. Some of them have got drugs. Some of them, they're not in their right mind. Pumping that music, they might go, oh, that's voodoo or that's magic. And they see the patterns and things. You haven't done anything. That is not the right place to go. Some people may swear and abuse and so on. So be careful about if it's an ego or if it's for the sake of Allah and get wisdom. Some people, uh, they do all sorts of things. You know, they get angry at people on the internet because they abuse the Prophet Of course you should be angry for that. But remember, by you replying, what have you done? What have you stopped? Don't even reply to them. They'll just go like just another fish in the sea because they want a reaction. Anyway, brothers and sisters, these are things that we need to think about and control our anger in. Last few notes, inshallah. Some people, they will blame their parents for their anger. They'll say, well, I, it's a genetic. I inherited it. There's no studies that have, no studies have proven that you inherit Anger. Anger is learnt. So you can work on yourself and it's a will. If you cannot restrain anger, then withhold harming or oppressing others. One uh, Salman al-Farisi, great companion of Prophet a man came to him and said, Give me advice, ya Salman. And he said to him, Don't get angry. He said, I can't. He says, Don't get angry. He said, I can't. I have to get angry. Some people, they can't, truly. So then he said to him, Okay then, then restrain your tongue and hands when you get angry. So if you can't hold yourself, some people truly they can't, and they've tried, at least stop your hands and your mouth from abusing or harming people. Go and swear at the wall. Go for a jog and swear at the whatever you want. You see a bird, you say whatever. Don't even swear at the birds, it's haram. But I mean, avoid harming people. Do what you can to lessen. We always say when problems happen, if you can't solve it, minimize it. If you can't minimize it, distract yourself and employ yourself. Go for a run, go for a jog, move away. Some people say, what if that doesn't work? I'm in the car, someone cuts me off, right there and then I'm going to do it. Let me teach you something about psychology, brothers and sisters. It takes 10 seconds. It takes 10 seconds. 10 seconds. For your intelligent, logical, conscious brain to talk to you, after you experience a moment of anger. Anger goes straight to the front. If you can wait, first of all, 10 seconds, you start to think. Then take a breath. <sighs> really hard. It will increase the blood flow, inshallah. 
because your veins get restricted, so you increase the blood flow. Number three, don't take it personal. Say, why am I upset? For example, that person who crossed in front of you, you've crossed in front of other people too. The other day, this person crossed in front of me. I'm going to work. I go, Ya Allah, shuhid hasbi Allah wa na'mal wakil. Allah yahdik. I'm saying, may God guide you. And this person crossed in front of me. I got angry. But then I remembered, well, I crossed in front of people too. I've done it many times. This person doesn't mean it. Someone got angry. One of you has to be the muslih. The other has to be the rekha. The muslih means the fixer and the rekha. Which one do you want to be? You can train yourself, brothers and sisters, over time to lessen it, inshallah. Brothers and sisters, if we can't, do courses about it, read books about it, watch, even go on YouTube, there are people who talk about how to work around psychology of anger. Try and note them down. Learn, try to improve yourself by doing all these things, inshaAllah ta'ala. My brothers and sisters, I will end it with this, that Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he himself used to get angry, and he used to get pleased. We're not here to tell you don't ever get angry. We're here to tell you learn how to manage your anger and control it bit by bit, insha'Allah ta'ala. We're telling the parents to be role models. We're telling you to learn and get advice on how to work on yourself, insha'Allah. And if you do get angry, reconcile quickly. How do you reconcile? For a believer, it's easy. When you remember death, when you remember day of judgment, when you go to a funeral, when you visit a sick person, when you look at other people who are less privileged than you, when you look at other people's problems, when you remember that Allah is going to make you stand. Well, I know people, they've gotten upset and then they ended up after six months, they ended up going to a funeral. They remembered death. A friend of theirs died. They come out and they hugged each other. Said, I don't know why we weren't talking to each other for six months, bro. Look, we're going to end up in this grave. If it's not going to affect you in five years' time, it's not worth it. You go to sleep, other, you, you can't go to sleep, other people you're angry at, they're probably sleeping and you're the only one who's suffering. Remember, you're only harming yourself. And uh, Rasul said, Innama ana bashar. I am also a human, he said. Arda kama yarda al-bashar. I get pleased the way people get pleased. Wa kama al-bashar. I also get angry the way humans get angry. Fa and then he said, and I even asked Allah, Oh Allah, if I say something out of anger or pleasure, and that person doesn't deserve it, out of anger, sorry, and that person doesn't deserve it, then change what I said to being a mercy and forgiveness for them. Obviously, Rasul never ever said anything out of line. Out of line. But he even said that to give us comfort that he is a, 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 a human like us. And one Sahabi, Abdullah ibn Umar, he used to write all the hadiths of Rasulullah so, so people from Quraysh came to him and said, look what the Messenger Sallallahu said. He said he gets angry and he gets pleased. And you're writing everything he says. What if you write something where he's angry? And so Abdullah ibn Umar got whispers. He said, oh my God, maybe I am writing things that shouldn't be written. So he went to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and said, Ya Rasulullah, since you get angry and pleased, I don't know, should I keep writing what you say? He said, Rasul pointed to his own mouth. Rasul went like this. He said, Uktub, write what I say. By the one who possesses my soul in his hand, I do not say except the truth and write. Even when I'm angry, I speak the truth. Uktub. So he began writing all the hadiths of Prophet. For the messengers never say, even in anger or pleasure, they only say what is right. Or what is a societal construct? Like, for example, Rasul said to a, an orphan child, a, a girl, when he saw her once, says, Is it you? I remember when you were small. She was a, an orphan child sponsored by Umm Sulaim. And he said, You? He said, Subhanallah, you've grown up. And then he said, May your youth always stay. So she went and cried to Umm Sulaim. She says, Why are you crying? He says, The Prophet made a dua that I always stay young. That means I will never, that means I'm going to die before, before getting older. So she went to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, she's crying because you made a dua against her. He said, what did I say? He said, you said to her, may your youth always be there. It means that she will never grow old, she's going to die young. And then he laughed at the innocence and he said, subhanAllah. He said, didn't you hear? I, made, I asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that if I said anything that was misunderstood to turn it into mercy and forgiveness for that person. 
What Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam never says except the truth. These are societal constructs. Sometimes you say something that the community knows and you don't really mean it. And Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is to say it and you're not hold account held accountable for them. So brothers and sisters, I hope insha'Allah, the hadith by the way is sahih in Abu Dawood and others. And it is mutawatir, which means many companions narrated it. Brothers and sisters, I'll stop here now insha'Allah and I hope insha'Allah they've understood the difference between mercy and when to use it and when not to. Anger and how to use it and when it's good and when not to. And I'm not saying to you, don't get angry. There are times when people lower you or attack your dignity or your honor or any of your basic humanity. You must get angry and you should speak out. But you don't have to become unjust. You don't have to go psycho and crazy. You can be firm and say, I do not accept that. You can even raise your voice if needs be. And sometimes if your anger, if you know that that anger will lead to justice and lead to people, stopping their oppression, then get angry and raise your voice and be angry. There are even times in the time of Prophet in times of war and battle, where Abu Bakr himself even said a very rude word to one of the enemies which destroyed his morale. And that's part of warfare. So anger is good sometimes. It can also, and I'll say this as well, sometimes, so long as you're not harming anyone, sometimes if you have low self-esteem, or you're not brave, or you're afraid to do something, and you have low confidence, sometimes anger comes in to give you confidence and bravery. If you know that that will make you do something good and encourage you, that anger is good. But you don't go using that anger to harm others or yourself. So anger can be good, and it can make you better. Even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gets angry, so it is a good virtue. But using it in the wrong way is a bad virtue, and getting angry for the wrong reasons is a bad virtue. هذا وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين